podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast uh, with me, Phil Kittram, ladies and Sidlow. Hello Sydney. Hello Phil. Is this our first alfresco pod of the year? I was just thinking this, this feels kind of like a throwback. We yes. are leaning against a wall. It's still in a car park. Yes. But not actually in the cars. No, we're, we're hiding in the shade as well from the late afternoon sun. Uh, it's, it's rather warm in the Spanish capital and we're not in the Podmobil for, I think, the first time uh, this year. Anyway, there you go. There's your weather update. Uh, let's get to the football. And there is rather a lot for us to discuss on there really this is, week's yeah. uh, pod. Some of it um, good, some of it not so good. But uh, uh, we'll get to uh, everything, we hope. And if we don't, uh, ask us a question and we'll answer it on our Q&A pod that we do every Tuesday over on our Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Got quite a lot of new patrons uh, in the last few weeks. Great to have you on board. Spanish football content daily from your friends. Sid Fidel now. Let's get to it then. And we'll kick off by talking about the Copa del Rey final. The, not the one from this year, not this season's Copa del Rey final, last season's Copa del Rey final, the 2019-2021, which was postponed, of course, last season because of the pandemic and then subsequently delayed even more to try and allow fans of Athletic Club and Real Sociedad into the stadium, this being the first ever Basque Derby final. It didn't happen, of course, but we did still get the, the final in an empty stadium, which wasn't quite empty because Sid was there. Yeah, you and there were there. actually quite a lot of people there for a game in which people aren't there, if you sort of mean, yeah. in that the amount of kind of invitees that both clubs were allowed to have was, was actually quite high. Um, a lot more journalists than, for example, you see in league games. Obviously, a lot of staff because a cup final with all the paraphernalia that goes with it involves quite a lot of people. I think we could be talking about maybe 3,000 people in the stadium, something like that. Um, and towards the end of the game, at least, it was quite noisy um, from the... The, the, the people there who obviously were there supporting Real Sociedad who were part of, as I say, if you like, the kind of the formal... Expedition's not the word, you know what I mean? The kind of... Travelling party? The travelling party, that's, yeah. the, that's the phrase. Um, they were making quite a lot of noise to, towards the end. I mean, I say quite a lot of noise, obviously, in the context of what's been a year now without any fans. So any noise yeah. sounds like quite a lot. Um, as an experience... I guess it wasn't, in truth, massively different from many of the other games we've seen. Obviously, what made it um, brilliant was the sense of history, the sense of the significance of the result. But neither the game nor the atmosphere, of course, were part of that. Mm-hmm. That's that's a reality. And 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 so, really and truly, by the end, the sense of having kind of witnessed something really significant and witnessed something really important was all bound up in the idea of history and the idea of how long it had been. And actually this, of course, would have been the case, whichever one of these two teams had won, yeah. how long it had been since either of them had won a trophy. It was won by Real Sociedad, a goal from the penalty spot from Mikel Oyarzabal, the only goal of the game, the only goal of a not brilliant game, although Real Sociedad were clearly the better side, mm. particularly in the second half, they absolutely dominated Athletic. There was uh, very little from Marcelino's team. And... I guess it was a little bit disappointing that the game wasn't great, but in a way, we kind of expected it. Maybe. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, I think we probably expected something slightly better than this. Um, and, and Marcelino, I think, was entitled to say after the game that the disappointing thing was that 
they weren't themselves, that Athletic weren't themselves. Now, on one level, at least, you would say, well, they were sort of themselves in that we know that Real Sociedad are technically a better team. We know that Real Sociedad were the team more likely to want possession and so on. But it's also true that neither team really created anything. I think it was yeah. a total of three shots on target in the game. It's the penalty, <laughs> the long shot from Inigo Martinez that gets tipped over. And I think it might be an Inigo Martinez header, the other mm. one, uh, which doesn't trouble the keeper. There's not a real save. There's one real save in the game. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it really is bound up in the significance of it all. And, and Marcelino himself said this, uh, that he felt like his players had the weight of the history on them, that they were aware of the significance of all of this. They weren't able to really string any passes together at all. I mean, I'm genuinely struggling to think of a move with more than three or four passes in Mm. the entire game from an athletic point of view. There were uh, obviously a lot more from Ralph Sothedad's point of view, although they weren't, they weren't overly ambitious. They, they sought, I think, control rather than chances. Although in the first half, they had three or four, particularly got a Sabal on the right-hand side. Him and Porto made quite a difference. There were moments when David Silva got involved in the game and, and, and sort of opened up Athletic a little bit, but not a huge amount. Um, and, and I think that was a very, very big part of it. And that's reflected... I mean, look, this isn't a representative sample necessarily, although, of course, in terms of the people in the stadium, it's a very representative sample because we're about the only people in there. (laughs) But when I got there, the queue for accreditation, um, collection of accreditations was quite long and I spoke to a lot of colleagues, a lot Uh of friends who are there. Almost all of them support one of these two clubs. Right. I suppose that happens if you go and watch Real Madrid as well, but I think even more so when it's journalists come from the Basque Country for Mm -hmm. the final. And genuinely, I don't think I've been at a game before where I've had such a clear sense um, that put bluntly but in a way that I hope Indian iTunes will allow us to to say yes. that so many of them were absolutely crapping themselves yes I, I think mean, I think that's permissible. I think you can't use the S word, but I think the C word's probably all right. I think it really it was really palpable yeah. how worried they were about this. And I genuinely think, and again, it's intuitive, and you're sort of seeing it from the outside. But Marcelino <laughs> did say this post game. I think that was pro- uh, projected by the players as well. I work with a Real Sociedad fan. I spoke to him today, and he was obviously extremely happy. And he said, obviously, these two sides are playing each other on Wednesday night mm. in La Liga. He said they could win. 10-0 yeah, exactly. Well, this is this is exactly the way that, that I wrote it for, for the match report, and this was sort of the point. Is Real Sociedad, because there's a new cup final in two weeks' time, there is. will be the shortest Copa del Rey reign as holders in history. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because it will last forever, because that's what this was. This game will always be there now. This will always be the game between these two clubs. It will. And in a way, it was quite nice that the min- winning manager was Emmanuel Aguafil. Yes, absolutely. I'm not sure if you've seen it. If you haven't, go and seek it out. It's on our Twitter feed, the video of Emmanuel Aguafil celebrating in the press room after the post-match press conference. He put on a Real Sociedad shirt. He got a Real Sociedad scarf and he said, Oi, this is for all the La Real fans. This is for the whole of the province of Guipuzcoa. And he started a La Real chant. And there was real... Um, I was going to say madness in his eyes. Yes, it was. But yeah. it was sort of passionate madness. Um, I, I said it's nice that, that he won because this was the Basque derby final and it was somehow fitting that it was a manager who played for La Real, who was a youth team coach, he's a huge fan of the club as well, that he was the winning manager. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that is true. And I think when you watch this footage, um, you know, it, it, it's borderline, to be honest. <laughs> it is borderline. Yeah. And it's the kind of footage you think, God, that would feel kind of awkward and maybe a bit forced and possibly even a bit cringeworthy 
if it had been anyone else in, and in any other moment. It felt sort of right because it was him. He's a, he's a curious character in some ways, Imanol, because he doesn't always come across as being charismatic in the classic sense, but he clearly has something about him. Players speak incredibly highly of him, even off the record. He, as you say, is a La Real fan. He's a man who's in his second spell in charge. Both times he said, look, I don't want to be in charge. Both times he took over almost, as, if you like, as a service to the club. The second time he ended up with a job permanently. Um, he... I remember at the start of last season, I think it was. Was it? The st- I think it was the start of last season, which seems like a long, long yeah. time ago now. Uh, me and Al, I think, I don't know where you were. You are probably on holiday gallivanting around. You're never around when we need you. No, so, but quite. I think me and Al were doing the, uh, maybe a season preview. And we were talking about La Real. And we're thinking, they're quite an exciting side. But I'm not sure about this Alguacil bloke. Yeah. Because he doesn't have that kind of natural sense that yeah. this is someone you would follow to the end of the earth sort of thing. But I think it's a combination of the authority he has internally within the club, what he symbolises, also a reflection, I suppose, of the fact that a lot of the players, youth team players, a lot of whom he's worked with, and he said yeah. after the final, one of the things that makes this special is that five or six of these guys I worked with four or five years ago mm-hmm. and, and, and we've kind of come through together. This is the guy who was a manager of Sansei, the guy who was a manager of, of the Juvenil, the under nine, effectively the under-19s yep. at the club. Um, it always feels like, and in particular now, I don't know about you, I always feel like this. With Xabi Alonso as the B team manager, it sort of always feels like we're not that far away from sort of making that decision, yeah. if you sort of mean, that Xabi Alonso comes in and there'll be, I think, everyone getting behind him. But, but Imanol is popular in part because there's no pretentiousness. Mm-hmm. There's no attempt to be anything that he isn't. This feeling for Raul Sotelo from him is absolutely genuine. And he also said something I think even more significant in the post-match press conference was when he was talking about his family. Yes. He said, he said, I'd like to thank my family. And obviously that in itself is a cliche and lots of people say yeah. it. And they really had to put up with me. And that is a bit of a cliche. But then he said, I have been absolutely unbearable. unbearable. <laughs> he, said, he said, and he said for six for months. six months. He <laughs> says for six months it's been Zubieta home, Zubieta home, Zubieta home. Nothing Training else. Training ground home, yep. He lives in one of, in a small village uh, called Orio, which is about 15 kilometres, um, as you look at the map, to the west, it, of, um, west yeah. of, of, of San Sebastián. And it's a, it's a vi- fishing village, but it's also a fishing village where the COVID rates were very high and it was enclosed for a while. And he had to have a special permission to leave every day to go to train. He said that in the build-up to the final, his uncle had died from COVID. He talked about how when he was going home, and I guess this is partly the, sort of the obsession of being in the bubble uh, in football and then going into the real world. Yeah, yeah. He said he was going home and not eating with his family. No. And, and going home and wearing on. the mask yeah, on at yeah. home. And he said, in the six months, I've gone out for a stroll with my wife four times. And that's on the Monte, I suppose you call that what, in the countryside. So yeah. away from other people. And there was a real sense that this is the cost of it. I was talking last night to a friend of one of his best friends. Right. Who was, who was saying to me, you know, a lot of them have been saying, it, it's extraordinary how much he puts into this, how difficult this is. And we don't know how long this can last for. Mm. Um, there's actually a nice piece, I think it's in Noticias de Guipúzcoa today, uh-huh. written by Mikel Ricalde, saying he's staying. Because I think there was a lot of people at the club who thought, you know, how long does he put up with this for? Because this isn't a guy that had the ambition to manage the first team. Mm. This is a guy who was happy with Sansei, happy bringing kids through, happy playing, a, if you like, a low-key role, and suddenly thrust into this scenario which he wasn't fully prepared for. Mm. And yet, here he is with a couple of the radar. And, and just to put this into context, by the way, 
This makes him only the third man in Real Sociedad's history to have won anything. Hmm. Fourth, if you count um, the coach whose name now escapes me. I did write it down earlier, who was in charge when they won the 1909 Cup when they were, strictly speaking, still the cycling club of San Sebastián. Yes. Yeah, uh, but they were sort of posthumously awarded that as a Copa yes. del Rey yes. uh, to them. Uh, OK, so brilliant for, for La Real to win this. Athletic, go again in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, um, talking to friends and colleagues who are Athletic Club fans, most of them were saying that they felt like this was going to be... If you're going to have a chance of beating Barcelona, you have to have won the first game. Mm. Oh, someone who's not very good at driving the car has just stalled across the way. From yes, us. he's practicing. <laughs> didn't do very well there. Um, that, that they felt that the the manner of this performance and the kind of if you like the the psychological impact right. means that they're less likely to win against Barcelona. Bear in mind, this I, I believe I'm right in saying this is five Copa del Rey finals in a row that they've lost. Eek. I mean, they have. If you look at their history, Athletic Club, they've won at least two Copa del Reyes every decade until the sixties. Mm-hmm. Since then, they won at least one every decade. They won a Copa del Rey every decade until nineteen eighty-four, and none since. Mm. Well, they've got a chance to do yeah, it again. We're in the fourth of the decade since then, you know, yeah. they haven't won any. <laughs> He's really struggling, isn't he, over there? Yes. These, well, the occupational hazards of, of recording a podcast in, in, a, in an abandoned car park. Occasionally, some people. Occasionally, there will be some cars. Right. So that was the Copa del Rey final from last season. There is another one in a couple of weeks' time. Are you going to that? Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. Good. Well, I'm, I'm going to be spending basically my entire life in Seville. I mean, because I was at this one. Obviously, Spain have just played. Yeah. In Seville. Yeah. Um, there is Chelsea against Porto twice. Yes. In Seville, and. Betis Atletico Madrid at the weekend, which I suspect will be um, the first time this season that Atletico Madrid finish a round of games not top of the table since, what, week nine, ten, something like that? Week nine, I think, yeah. Um, okay, more on that uh, in a moment. Uh, but now we change track and uh, talk about something we would really rather not talk about, but is a big talking point from the weekend's matches in La Liga. Uh, another incident of, have to use the word, alleged racism. Uh, in La Liga. It came in the Cadiz against Valencia game yesterday on Sunday and it it came in the first half. Uh, Essentially, uh, Mukta Diakabi said that he was uh, racially abused by uh, Juan Cala, uh, the Cadiz defender. Uh, Juan Cala uh, strenuously denies the uh, accusation. We did on the pitch. He hasn't publicly said that. And we'll speak tomorrow. And we'll speak tomorrow in uh, in a press conference. Why he's not speaking today, I'm not entirely sure, but he's speaking tomorrow uh, in a a press conference. Anyway, back to the the game. And Valencia walked off. Um, Jacobi walked off and then he was accompanied by his teammates and and they went off. But then the game restarted. Mm. So what, what happened? Well, I mean, there are lots and lots of... I mean, in a way, this sounds foolish for me to say this, that there are lots of elements, because in a way there isn't. There's one very, very simple element. But there are lots of elements to try and try and explain sort of the process um, that happened here. Um, and apologies in a way, because I feel bad almost talking about the process, because as I say, there is a basic fact which is more important. So let's put that at the start. They go off... Um, largely led by Gabriel uh, Paulista, who at the, that early point is the only one who has said that we've seen say what um, Calor is alleged to have said. Because he turns to the camera and says, Negro de miedo no, eh? Now, that doesn't translate brilliantly in English, but what he's essentially saying is you can say many things, but you cannot say Negro de miedo, which is if, more or less roughly translates as shitty black, uh, not Black shit. Yeah, not. It's almost, but not. It, it sort of is. And yeah, exactly. It's one of those two, isn't it? Um, 
So you get this situation where they go off. He, Diacobi uh, is, is beside himself. I mean, it, it's, it's really, yeah. you know, whatever has happened, and as you say, we've got to have the presumption of innocence, something's happened because Diacobi's reaction, reaction is, is really something. I mean, you see him talking to the referee, for example, and he's, he sort of turns away and goes back yeah. and turns away again and, and kind of gestures and puts his hands on his head and then on his chest. And he, 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 it's like he doesn't know, yeah. how on earth am I going to make you see this? Yeah. How can you not see this? Yeah. But of course, a referee can't see no, what he hasn't seen and himself. can't hear what he yeah. hasn't heard. So they go off. And you're watching this, and, and obviously watching this on television. And the commentators, by the way, are not in the stadium, which mm. doesn't help the television mm. commentators. So they're a little bit lost as well. There is a touchline reporter who, of course, is feeding them bits of information, the things he's seeing off camera and so on. And they go off. And then the next thing you see is, well, the next thing, you know, there's a bit of this minutes pass. And in total, I think from them going off and the game restarting is 24 minutes. So quite a lot happens in that mm. time. But the next thing you see quite soon is Ugo Guillemon comes on and starts warming up. You go, Ugo Guillemon is a centre-back. Yep. That's Diakovic's position. You're thinking, shit, they're going to play. But not only are they going to play, they're going to play without him, which feels a little bit the wrong way around. And then there was this, so they come back on and they restart. Kala is playing. Diakovic isn't. Diakovic is sitting in the stands. And every time the camera went to Diakovic in the stands or Juan Kala on the pitch, it kind of felt worse. With every view of them, it felt worse. That In a way, the message was, so the abuse doesn't get to play and the abuser does alleged let's make sure we 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 stress that um now there's also some other things that that feel contradictory about this and feel uneasy which is why i think it's it's worth talking about them even if the fundamental fact is still the fundamental fact once it's established of course one is that when valencia come back out they put a tweet out and they put a tweet out just about to coincide with when they come back out and they say this is the first time someone says publicly and and directly there has been racist abuse for mokta dakavi and we're with you but we're coming back out because he has asked us to come back out. At that point, that's the only thing they say. Mm-hmm. They come back out, they play, and you think, well, why would he ask that? And then, of course, at that point, you're thinking, well, obviously, any reaction from them has to be driven by him. And if he genuinely wants them to play, then I suppose, okay. It's not what you would preferably have them do, but, but if that's his genuine desire, then okay. Unconditioned genuine desire, then, then, then okay. Then, at the end of the game, you get um, Gaia, who speaks immediately after the game, touchline, um, interview so there hasn't been time shall we say for, for briefing or for a sense of well what's the position here what do we say and he says well they told us that if we didn't play we would um, forfeit the three points and maybe more uh, and he said and Diakabi authorised us to do it which is not quite the same as saying he asked us to yeah it's, it's him saying well within these conditions okay you play but I don't feel up to it which is not I, I've got to stress this it's, it's not, not how the, it was framed it's not the no. same thing it's not the same thing now obviously there are nuances and, and there's elements that are the same but it's not quite the same thing you then get a situation where Valencia put out another statement later on um, which has a series of points in it one of them is they say the club did not force the players to go out now no one had suggested that they had at that point which, which so it was striking that they'd said that they then said we were forced under the prospect of punishment to play now, obviously, that then says, OK, so who forced you? Was it the league? Was it the federation? Was it the referee? Nobody actually said who this they were. So Javi Gracia avoided it in the press conference. Gaia didn't say who they were after the game when he said, you know, they told us that. I also think we need to... Wasn't be- it the ref? Well, so we make the assumption that it's the referee because, of course, he's the, if you like, the, the relevant authority at the ground. Now, at this point, in defence of the referee, I think it's worth saying something. Yeah. The referee, first of all, doesn't have the authority to force anything along those lines. 
But what he does do is he has the administrator's role, if you like. Now, the referee cannot end a game by the, according to the protocol if he and his staff haven't heard it. But equally, nor can he force Valencia or any team to go back out. What he has to do, though, is tell them, OK, this is the protocol, this is the criteria, this is the possibility of what comes next. And according to the rules, you could lose this game 6-0, you could have more points taken off you. And so I think, I, I think I'm a little uneasy with the phrase forced when it seems to me that actually it's more likely to be informed, isn't it? Hmm. It's more likely to be informed because the referee then doesn't decide that. A competition committee then decides that. There's a, there's, a, there's a committee that decides what the punishment would be. And of course, then you get back into this discussion we were saying before, which is at what point does a club say, you know what? It doesn't matter if they take three points off us or six points or a hundred points. We're going to do this because we believe in it. Now, there's all sorts of nuance. Until you're in that position, it's very difficult to know exactly how you would react. But there was just that deeply uncomfortable scene and Kala went off by the way in the second half he only played the first half of Kala playing and Diakabi not mm. yes and that is the front page of Marco today yes. it is Diakabi on his own in the stand and the headline says you're not alone well that's and that, and that in, a, in, a, in, a, in itself is kind of contradictory and, and uneasy because there's a photograph of him alone mm. saying you are not alone now in fairness and, and this is worth stressing Valencia's players they spend a lot of time in, you know, during the game. Once the camera's gone off him, we don't know anymore. But going to him, you know, speaking to him, you know, trying to trying to make sure he knows that they're there, that they're with him. This is the players, and I think there might be a difference between players, all sorts of other influences around them, what exactly is happening. And there was another bit of footage which I thought was very, very interesting and very sad as well. Which is just before they come back out, the camera actually looks down the tunnel, and at Cardiff, it's down the tunnel because it's downstairs, and so you see it, and Thierry Correa is standing on one side leaning against the wall and I think it's Gonzalo Guedes goes to him to console him and says something to him and, and you can't see it very clearly mm. you know it's down the tunnel he's a little bit of a distance away and so on and, and you know the lighting in the tunnel isn't great but it feels very much like this is a player thinking are we really going back out? Mm. I mean again look I'm really really uneasy about making these kind of interpretive judgments but this, certainly it's a player that's unhappy that's what it like. and it's another player trying to comfort him and, and obviously, look, it's very, very easy for us to stand here in a car park and tell them what they should have done. But there are elements of this that sort of don't fit quite right. And also, by the way, if the problem is the protocol and the system, how do systems get changed? And this is a reality, by the way, in all walks of life. And it's not necessarily a comfortable one, but it is true. How do systems get changed? By challenging them, by standing up against them, by refusing to, 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 to fit into them. Now, sometimes that's a wrong thing to do, but that's how things get changed. Whether it's a problem with the protocol, I suppose, is a broader issue and probably a more mechanical one than, a, than, than an ethical one. <clears throat> La Liga condemns racism in all shapes and forms and has been an active party in persecuting hate crimes in Spain. We take any, any allegation of racism seriously and will work with the clubs and refereeing establishment to do whatever is necessary to protect the values of equality and respect that prevail in our Spanish professional football competition. I mean, in truth, it doesn't say very much. In fact, it doesn't really say anything. We're, we're against racism. Um, they do say that they're going to investigate. Obviously... Because we go back to the start and the idea of the presumption of innocence, of course, they, they are not in a position to do anything until such a point as they can prove it. And that is, an, you know, it's clear that something has happened. But obviously, you've got to be able to demonstrate that. Let's see what Callas is tomorrow, by the way. Um, and let's see, by the way, how Cardiff react. Because I, I want to make a, a brief point about Cardiff here. Cardiff put out a statement which everybody just said, oh, Cardiff have defended their player. You read that statement, they don't really. Mm. I don't think they have, uh, for example... They haven't done what Liverpool did with Luis Suarez. 
many years ago. What, print T-shirts? Well, I didn't just mean the T-shirt, but yes, they haven't. Yeah. They, you know, so they have, I think, kept a, a slight distance from this. And I just wonder if that, that um, creates a scenario in which maybe they will take action of their own, as well as any action that, that comes from the league or the federation. That's the other thing, of course, you've got jurisdiction issues here. Um, the league... The league um, actually, in a way, have been quite proactive about things. I wouldn't call them hate crimes necessarily, but insults and so on in the stadiums. They've been very proactive to the point of sometimes it's been a bit comic, actually, haven't they, in terms of picking up on really non-existent or, or unimportant swearing. But they have really pursued it in fairness to them. Uh, the Cadiz statement says that uh, it's, they oppose racism in all forms and say the culprits must pay whether they're on our team or not. Now, I think that, I genuinely think that's a significant line. It's very, very easy for a club to just say we, we oppose racism in all forms. To actually directly and literally say whether they are on our team or not... Mm. I think actually does matter. I know, again, it's not a huge deal. And the bigger statement was walking off than the actual textual statements. Yeah. But I, I, I thought that was relatively significant. The other thing was, you notice that um, Mauro, who did the Cardiff post-match interview, is inevitably going to be described as having defended his player. But he was basically asked twice, oh, but you can't imagine that he's a racist, could you? And actually, he backed away from defending him. Now, all of this is not to say they think he's guilty, but it is yeah. to say that they are not going to allow... The fact that someone's a teammate, I think, to 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 put them in a position where they defend someone who may or may not now be proven to have said this. We will keep talking about this because this is extremely important and we will keep you up to date with the developments. As we said, Juan Kyler is, is speaking to uh, tomorrow and uh, let's see what comes of this. But this is important. And it actually felt quite significant that Marco put it on their front page, yeah, the only I, one of the newspapers I must say, I, newspapers think, I think this is something that has been... Um, it has become much more important. It's become taken much more seriously I mean, than it once would have done. I, I know you. I imagine. Obviously, I've been here a bit like longer than you, and, the, and I've been yeah. through this with with the, the in the 2008 Olympics in particular. I've yes. been in the middle of it with the Luis Aragonés thing. I feel like we have actually. Oh, come the Luis Aragonés thing. With in the Olympics. No, the no. Olympics with the with the Chinese basketball. With team. the Chinese Sorry, basketball with the Spanish team. basketball team yes. at, at playing in in China. in China. And then with the 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 racist abuse of of English players when Luis Aragonés was Spain manager with England here. Uh, the uh, basketball thing we're referring to is that ahead of the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, there was a photo of the Spanish national basketball team uh, all uh, pulling their eyes back yeah. because they were off to China so that was obviously felt like it was acceptable and the uh, Luis Aragonés thing of course uh, used the same alleged phrase when yeah. talking about uh, Thierry Henry as well this is something that is extremely important not just in the world of course but here in Spain uh, it's something that's very close to our hearts so as we said we will continue to talk about it it is important we will talk about also the rest of Match Day 29 for the remaining few minutes of today's podcast and then more to come over on Patreon for the rest of the week. The other results then, this Match Day Friday saw Wesker give themselves real hope of avoiding the drop. A brilliant double from Rafa Mir giving them a 2-0 win at Levante. Then on Saturday, a hat-trick from Spain's best striker, Gerard Moreno. The second goal is glorious, isn't it? Oh, the second goal I didn't actually see it live. You sent, you sent a message on the groups just saying, oh, Gerald's, Gerald's second goal. Yeah. And I didn't actually get to see it till the following day. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's pretty special. Granada nil, uh, Villarreal three. Then Real Madrid beat Eibar by uh, two goals to nil. Karim Benzema kept his goal scoring Seven in record. a row, isn't it? Seven in a row. He's never scored in seven games in a row before during his decade at Real Madrid. And then Osasuna nil, Getafe nil. If you watch that one, well done. You've got your uh, Spanish football yeah. aficionado extra 
a high level uh, it's award. It's like a badge, isn't it? Like, like when you're in the Scouts or Woodcraft folk or something, you right stick on, it on your sleeve. You've yeah. got your Osasuna Nil, Getafe Nil badge. Uh, then on Sunday, at Celta with a much needed win, uh, beating Alaves by three goals to one. Barry Aspas in brilliant form, 10 goals and 10 assists for him so far this season. Celta are definitely safe. Alaves are definitely not. In fact, they've just sacked manager uh, Abelardo and replaced him, not officially, uh, with Javi Calleja. Yeah. But uh, the former Villarreal uh, boss is going to be the uh, new man in charge at Mendizorrota. Elche won, Betis won, and then Cadiz actually beat Valencia 2-1 in the game. We didn't even talk about it, but that was that was the result. And then a huge result at the Estadio Ramon Sanchez Pijuan with Sevilla beating Atletico by a goal to nil. It means that if Barca win tonight against Valladolid, they will be just a point behind Sevilla at Real Madrid uh, Three behind points, three po- uh, behind Atletico. Mm. Sorry, Real Madrid uh, are just three points behind Atletico as well. There is very much a title race on. Uh, we don't have too much time, but uh, let's talk a little bit about that Sevilla uh, Atletico mm. game. And um, we sort of saw this coming. You certainly have seen it yeah. coming. I mean, again, to, to stress something, we never thought they would have a full-on collapse. We just thought there would be games that they didn't win. Now, yeah. losing one 0 away at Sevilla is is legitimate it's fine it can yeah. happen but the problem is if that's preceded by dropping points against Celta uh, dropping points twice against Levante uh, almost dropping points against Athletic Club and, and, and so on then, then it's a problem I, I, I think I'm right in saying that Atletico have only won three of the last eight games now um, they you know obviously the rate of picking up points is slowing at the same time as Madrid and Barcelona are really gathering speed now that's not to say they always will and of course next weekend Atletico have the advantage they can't both win because it's a Classico. Um, but it also, it felt during this game that Sevilla were quicker. There was a 20-minute period when Atletico, you start to think, OK, they're going to win this now. They're going to step up and they're going to win this. God, Black had saved the penalty. And and then it just didn't happen. They got caught on a goal, which in truth, I can understand why Cocky's upset. It starts with a handball, a very clear handball. That's at the start of quite a long move. It takes about 50, 60 seconds for the ball to end up in the net at the other end. But it does start with that. Um, and, and I just... Yeah, they, 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 they are vulnerable now. Now, that's not to say they definitely won't win the league, but I would say if you look at what the run-in is between now and the end of the season, forget the fact that I said they weren't favourite weeks ago. Take it just from now. They're absolutely not favourites now. No. Even if, if Barcelona, even if Barcelona draw tonight by some miracle and, and you have Barcelona and Real Madrid just three points behind Atletico Madrid, given the run-in and the current form, there's no way they're favourites. Of course, they've still got to go to the camp now. They've still got to go to Camp Nou. Yeah. Um, and Barcelona uh, got to go to the Estadio Alfredo Di Stefano next weekend. It is, yeah. it is El Clasico. By the way, shout out to Julian Lopetegui. I think it's his first win against one of the big three. Is it? I hadn't yes. realised that. Right. Yes, okay. yeah, yeah, I, think, uh, I think so. Um, certainly, he's, uh, uh, he's not had uh, a good record against the, uh, the biggest clubs in, uh, in La Liga, but Sevilla, uh, relatively good value for that win, a win which has blown open the, uh, the La Liga title race. Anyway, uh, we didn't... Speak too much about match day 29, as we said, because there were other things that uh, uh, that uh, took uh, took priority. But we will talk about stuff, whatever you want us to talk about, uh, over on our Q and A pod on Tuesday. Then we've got a uh, bonus pod coming up on Thursday, probably talking about the Champions League, Real Madrid uh, facing Liverpool and the fallout from the racism incident. I'm sure alleged racism incident uh, in the Segunda Espanola still top after beating Albacete 3-0 Mallorca two points behind them they drew 1-1 with Las Palmas third place uh, Almeria are now seven points off the top after losing 1-0 to Rio mm-hmm. on Friday a late goal by Bebe former Manchester yeah, United baby. ace Bebe uh, Oviedo lost 1-0 to Castellón you know they didn't have a shot on target 
Castellon, yeah, and they still won. Yeah. How? What happened? What was because it? Because Oviedo were very special. It was an own goal. It was an own goal. Oh no! <laughs> we are special. We are a club like no other. Yes. <laughs> there we go. Uh, listen. Thank you guys for listening to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast I believe I've mentioned our Patreon enough times so I won't mention it again and I will say if you don't want to be a patron don't worry we'll be here next week in this glorious car park talking about Spanish football so thank you very much for listening and we'll see you then adios cheerio Network.